so we'll look at uh neuro medical uh, disorder and their medication under here we've already looked at a couple of them and we'll look at a couple of them today before we can end this particular uh, system and medication um, then we'll move on to the other medications now we'll take a look today at the uh, psychotic disorders when it comes to psychosis it is one of the most um, strenuous and hard to treat mental disorders clients present with these features they present with so many excess baggage um under here they are out of reality what i mean out of reality they're going to have um they're going to have those main feature when it comes to psychosis or mental disorder which include hallucinations they will have delusions they're going to have disorganized thought disorganized behavior they're going to have um catatonic lifestyle other symptoms coming in they're going to be out of reality with their environment they're going to have those negative and positive symptoms they're going to have um they will lose the ability to maintain a close relationship with their spouses or with their spouse or with their intimacy with other opposite sex if they are of the same sex they will lose the ability to maintain that cordial relationship or that intimate relationship between the individual who's having these conditions and their partners now all of these psychotic disorders schizophrenia spectrum disorders are one of the first reasons for us administering antipsychotic medication schizophrenia is a very big thing when it comes to it's one of the biggest conditions when it comes to uh, mental illness and uh, it, it is also one of those conditions that involve um, exacerbation with interval of semi-remission. So the client is going to have the condition at one point in time. They're going to have those, 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 those dangerous symptoms and they're going to go away after taking some treatment. And uh, if they, they do not manage their, um, uh, the, their environment, the environment plays a major role in they relapse so they're going to have a couple of relapse so many relapse throughout their life they will be back and forth from the hospital and other things when they have psychosis or when they have schizophrenia mm. this medication under here that is the antipsychotic medication under here they are used basically to treat um the positive symptoms of the medication or of the condition i mean and also treat the negative symptoms of the schizophrenia now multiple we'll positive and negative symptoms under here positive symptoms are those symptoms that are added that were not present when you were well when you begin ill they begin and added symptoms on your condition when you got ill those are what we call the positive symptoms now the negative symptoms are those symptoms that the individual will not have due to illness so 
let's take a look at for example the positive symptoms you're going to have hallucinations you're going to have so the positive symptoms we're going to have um example we have hallucination hallucination um we're going to have uh delusions um we're going to have disorganized thought um, and other things under here now under here these are things that happen to the person to the to the ill patient that were not present when they were when they were well so when you begin sick due to the neurochemical imbalances you start to see individuals in your eye that are not real that becomes the visual hallucination you start to hear voices that are not real that becomes the auditory hallucination now those are added symptoms to your illness due or due to your illness so we call them positive symptoms now so the symptoms that include like uh, the negative symptoms are those symptoms that will be taken away you become an uh you become energetic energetic are example of negative symptom energetic meaning you lost energy you do not have interest in pleasurable things you have what we call anhedonia you become completed this you 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 do not have interest in what brings you pleasure in life whether it is relationship whether it is sexual pleasure whether it is just happiness from the environment you lost all of those interests because of the illness so losing the interest is like something is being taken away from you so the act of taking something away from you that will fall on the negative symptoms those other, other symptoms include like um we talk about lack of emotion something occur and you do not have the emotion to express your inner feeling your affect is blunted your actor is just flat that becomes what we call the negative symptom or you do not have the motivation so basically in psychosis someone who is psychotic will have these symptoms coming in when they become ill so these are negative positive symptoms that the anti-psychotic medication aim to treat when a client have these conditions you're going to have a disorder disorderly thinking reduce ability to focus and you have memory difficulties due to the illness due to the imbalance within the neurochemicals these are things that happen to the individual who is having these uh, psychotic disorders to be specific schizophrenia now in these cases the goal in there is to treat schizophrenia spectrum and its disorder or other psychotic disorder that come along with these conditions um so we want to prevent acute exacerbation which might lead to hospitalization which mostly it could be what we call the dts danger to self dto danger to others <clears throat> or gd growth disabled so these are one of the three reasons why a client is going to be admitted when they are having these symptoms are the post danger to themselves in the environment or the post danger to others in the environment or they become grossly disabled or gravely disabled that they cannot carry on their ADLs. So they're going to sit one place, they're going to pee on themselves, they're going to pull on themselves. So when these things are happening to the client, it requires hospitalization. So that's what we do in short. So when these things happen, the client needs to be hospitalized to take some 
antipsychotic medication to bring them back to normality. Now, among this antipsychotic medication, so we have the first generation, we have the second generation. Now, the first generation, the second generation, everything has good and bad side. <clears throat> but we we'll look at them in, we we'll look at them in specific. Now, we we'll look at the first generation. So the first generation, um, the first generation antipsychotic, we call them the conventional medication. Conventional medication, that is the first generation. Now, the first generation antipsychotic are referred to as the first generation. Now, this medication, the control, many of the positive symptoms, these are good endless testing points. The first generation antipsychotic control the positive symptoms when a client is having those positive symptoms. And we say the positive symptoms are other symptoms when you are ill. They include hallucination, delusions, and other things. Those are the positive symptoms we talk about. We have like a client having some bizarre behavior, delusions, flat of idea, um, Ill illogical thinking, the thinking of the client is not straight. Those are what we call uh, positive symptoms. And it is those symptoms that the first gen or the conventional antipsychotic treat mostly. Now, uh, the medication with a high potency requires a smaller dose to relieve symptoms. That's a very good one. The one that have a high potency requires a small dose to treat the symptoms. Meaning, if the drug is so strong and powerful, that's in mental health, we do not start with the, the, the higher dose of medication. We start with the lowest dose, and as we go ahead, we, want, we treat it to the required dose. That's how also, when we are like a DC in the medication, we are like stopping the medication, we start with the higher dose, we keep coming down, we taper it until we get to the lower dose before we DC it. Because if we don't do that, sometimes uh, there can be other side effects or some other withdrawal syndrome that might come up that might be life-threatening. So we have to either to treat it when we are stopping the medication or we have to taper it when we are DCing the medication. Those are two words I want to remember when it comes to antipsychotic medications. Um, under these antipsychotic drugs, we have CPZ, which we call the clopromazine. CPZ is short, the, well, the full name is clopromazine. Clopromazine and Haldol or Haloperidol. Haloperidol are two of the most frequently used um, antipsychotic medication that fall under the first generation. Now, in some hospitals, now they might not even use the CPZ because these are the, the first one that came out that were, were very effective, but it has some bad side effects. So some hospitals, some mental hospitals do not even use the CPZ anymore. There are a lot of first generation medications that now we no longer use. We have uh, other drugs that were formed to substitute them. Um, we have like uh, the thorax, the thoraxine or thoraxazine. Another one is the thoraxazine. Um, another drug that another first generation. You have like uh, the um, another one is the the uh, flufinazine. Flufinazine 
those are all first generation antipsychotic or conventional medication now this medication what are what i want you to do there are things about them that you have to remember, remember very well um this medication what they do is that they block the dopamine the acetylcholine the histamine the norepinephrine receptor in the brain and the periphery of the body it inhibits psychotic symptoms it believed to be a result of dopamine 2 blockade in the brain so um these drugs are inhibitors the goal in inhibit this receptor site of those neurochemicals that are not at their normal level so based upon that um when this occur the the, the client will sort of reduce will sort of get reduced in the uh, in their symptoms when it comes to mental illness um this medication they treat acute and chronic psychotic disorders these drugs um they treat mostly schizophrenic spectrum disorders um they treat some other bipolar problem or bipolar disorders they treat agitations and we use it to prevent nausea and vomiting this cpz is what we call i think they call it uh lagate um, in the hospital back home we usually use it for when the child is vomiting or even when other is, is, is vomiting the administration as an anti-emetic so some of these drugs have two different futures when it comes to their classes they could be antipsychotic and they could also be another future like uh, they could also be uh anti-emetics so for the cpz the clopromazine is also called lagate they have it in syrup they have it in pills and they have it in injectables um this medication the client who can tolerate the adverse effects can take it clients who are violent or particularly aggressive it is good for them because the effects the therapeutic effects are to show very early um this drug like i said they come in tablets in oral solution and it comes in deposit operation for injectable um for the haloperidol it takes a little bit more longer it takes it, take, it takes longer time to start its effect for the haloperidol it takes up to four to six weeks before you start to see the effect now this medication and um, the English we, we always bring questions like uh, a client is on haloperidol after being admitted at a mental hospital for like three weeks and the client still presenting psychotic symptoms and the client parent asked the nurse why is it that my child has been for the past three weeks and we have not seen the effect of the medication what would the nurse best respond a let's change the medication B, let's see the let's see the doctor so we can answer the question so we can answer your concern. C, the drugs does not take effect up to like the first three weeks. It takes effect from four weeks up. Now those are the kind of answer they're going to present to you in the end class. Remember that this psychotic medication, this antipsychotic medications, they 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 take effect at least after uh, four weeks and above. Now these medications, <clears throat> um. For the haloperidol, we give it every four weeks, so they, so they give it once a month. Now, when I used to work with Horizon House in Philadelphia, <clears throat> like we used to give it to our client like once every month, the haloperidol. Now, for the flufinazine, they give it at least every two weeks. So we have clients who are on drugs, on injection every two weeks, and we have some that were on injection every month. And, and they have, there are newer ones that are now coming in that they give it every three months. So this injection they are very good they are they are the first generation antipsychotic or they are called 
the conventional one. And what I wanted to, to remember is this convention, this conventional medication, which is the first generation antipsychotic, they treat basically the, the, the positive symptoms of psychosis. Now, another thing I want to remember here, it is um, the complication of this medication. These are very important portion for the NCLEX. This complication that comes along with these medications, it is important for us to know the one, we have one we call the uh, acute dystonia. Acute dystonia. We have to remember these words and understand what they mean. Two, we have one we call Parkinsonism. Now, Parkinsonism, Parkinsonism. Now, these are complications that come with the first generation antipsychotic medication. Now, <clears throat> the acute dystonia. The client can experience severe muscle spasms in the tongue or become the tongue, the face, the eyes, or the back. This is the crisis situation which requires rapid treatment. The, now, I want to remove the part of the body that this drug can affect and cause complication. It is important to note those part of the body. This, when you have acute dystonia, the client tongue, the client face, the client neck and the client back become spasmic. It goes into uh, they go into spasm, and uh, this requires a quick treatment. They can develop within the first few hours or days after the medication first dose. Treatment with um, we should treat this this symptom with uh, anti medication, anticholinergic anti medication. Example, we have we have Benadryl. You have Benadryl and you have Benzotropine. Benzotropines and Benadryls are the two antagonists we use to treat this uh, complication when they ever arise. It is good to note them, to note them and know which one can we use to treat. Now, that is for the acute dystonia. Remember the part of the body that is going to affect I mean, it is important to know them. Then we have the Parkinsonism. Parkinsonism is um, include like a mask face, a mask-like face, bradykinesia, rigidity. The client will have this shuffling gait, and the client going to have tremors. Now, under here, tremors is a very big symptom for this condition, for this particular complication. They're going to have a mask. Their face will look like mask. Like their face will look just. They cannot smile. They cannot change their face. Their face will look stiff. They're going to have that stiffness of the face. They're going to have the tremors and other things like in Parkinson's disease where the client having tremors. They're going to have that. They're going to also have uh, drooling, and they will have tremors. They will, their body will be rigid. They will have that extreme bodily rigidity. Bodily rigidity when they having this. When they having the Parkinsonism. Now, for this condition, um, we want to observe for Parkinson for Parkinson after the client takes the drugs for at least one month. Now, for the acute this for the acute dystonia, on the client first dose, the client might start to experience the symptoms, or after several days, they can start to experience them. But for Parkinsonism, it takes a month and plus. For the client to start expressing the first symptoms of Pakistanism as a complication in this case. When this happens, 
we treat with uh, this same two medication, we can still serve it. If they do not work, we give amantadine. 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 Okay. If this does not, if this medication do not work, we DC the medication. We DC the antipsychotic medication. So we start with the benzoyl pain or the Benadryl. If they do not work, we move to amantadine. If they do not work, then we DC the medication. Um, if the symptoms return, we administer an atypical antipsychotic medication, which we'll get to very shortly. Now, so um, then we have another one we call the akitasia. Now, the akitasia is another symptoms of the mental, or, or sorry, it's, it's another complication of the antipsychotic medication. Now, this is where when the client is unable to stand still or sit down. Now, this, these are, you know, it is it is so unique when you work with these this client who have this condition and you see them lively. So when you're talking about it, it feels so good because you have seen the live picture. So when you see it now, I used to, I used to have a client when I started working with her house. Uh, I would see the client like moving back and forth, walking, going, coming like this. I, I was like, like, and then when I started seeing it. My mind started going back to these symptoms that I talk about most of the time when I was a student or even when I started uh, talking about endless materials. So you're going to see these symptoms with the client. These are signs of medication complication. In this case, we have to observe for akatasia for at least two months. Akatasia for at least two months when the client started medication. Two months when they started medication, and we have to manage with beta blockers, benzodiazepines, or anticholinergic. For akitasia, we use beta blockers. We use the beta blockers. We use the anticholinergic medication, these drugs. Um, or we can use uh, for them. We can also use the benzodiazepines. The benzodiazepine for this for these complications they're going to have when they are on this uh, conventional antipsychotic medication. Now, so it is, it, it is, it is for us to know them and know when can we, what can we do when they occur. Another one is the TD, which we call the tardive dyskinesia. Now, the TD is another one. The TD is called, called the tardive dyskinesia. Dyskinesia. Now, this is another one right here. Now, the TD, <clears throat> it is, uh, the client will have this involuntary. Now, I want you to understand certain words that will modify the symptoms, that will give the symptoms different meaning. When you see them in the anklets, your mind should run to a particular complication of medication. Now, you might see in acute dystonia, you will see tongue, the face, and other things. But in this case, for the tardive dyskinesia, it is an involuntary movement of the tongue and the face. Many of the clients will have lip smacking. They will have this lip smacking, which can cause the speech and the eating, and their eating level will become disturbed. They cannot 
if they cannot speak correctly because they will keep smacking their lips when they're having this tardive dyskinesia. They can also have involuntary arm movement. Like the arm is like moving involuntarily over and over without stopping. You see them having the arm like this. You see it like real like trim this. You see the arm moving like this involuntarily. Like they don't have any control over it. They both arms, sometimes one arm. You're gonna see this with tardive dyskinesia. Or the legs or the trunks. You see the trunk going like this. They'll keep doing like this and they cannot stop the whole while. These are complications of the medication. Now, for the tardive dyskinesia, um, they're going to have um, this, we call it the abnormal involuntary movement skill, the ARMS. It's used to monitor the symptoms, the abnormal, the abnormal involuntary monitoring skills, the AIMS, ARMS. So this is the tools we use to monitor <coughs> the symptoms of the tardive dyskinesia. Now, this drugs, is a lit uh, EPS that occur a month to years after the start of the therapy. Now it can improve following medication change, but it's often permanent. So sometimes it improve um, after uh, whatever EPS come the extra pyramidal symptoms. Now extra extra pyramidal syndromes. These are these are these are sad these, these are average effect or complication of this antipsychotic medication so td or tardive dyskinesia falls under the eps which we call the extra pyramidal symptom you can look it up eps is like extra pyramidal DL symptom now um <clears throat> it falls under them now sometimes when a client start a treatment it goes over sometimes it stays forever now all we do is we lower the dose to control the symptoms we evaluate the client after 12 months and then every three months if the client still have these symptoms we should lower the dosage and the client should be switched to another atypical agent if it is workable now then we have um one we call the nms now the NMS is all called the neuroleptic malignant syndrome, the MNS. Now we have what we call the MNS. Now for this MNS, they are the most dangerous ones. They are the life-threatening ones. They are actually life-threatening and they are dangerous. That is the MNS. Um, we call them the neuroleptic Malignant syndrome, NMS. They are life threatening. That's why I'm writing them in a rare marker. They are life threatening, according to the neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Now, <clears throat> this syndrome, these symptoms, or this particular this particular average effect, um, include the client will have sudden high fever. They will have high fever, they will have high blood pressure or blood pressure will, will fluctuate, fluctuate. They're gonna have dysrhythmia, they will have muscle stiffness, they will have diaphoresis, they will have drooling, and they're going to have changes in the level of consciousness that will develop into coma. 
So if it is not treated, if it is not money, if it is not managed, the client goes into coma after this symptom. In this case, the first thing we do for this particular NMS, we stop the medication. That's the first thing we do, we stop the medication. Next thing we do is we monitor the client virus signs. We stop the medications, monitor the client virus sign. We apply cooling blankets. We're going to have high fever. We put them on a cooling blanket to control their temperature. We increase the client fluid, fluid intake. We administer antipyretic. Now, if you see what I'm talking about here, these clients who are who having this particular NMS, they are being treated symptomatically. They have high fever. We put it on a cooling blanket. We set an antipyretic. We give them fluid. We stop the medication. We increase uh, the uh, increase the fluid. We administer a benzodiazepine to be specific. We give them diazepine um, to control their anxiety. They're going to have huge anxiety. We give them also. We also give them dantrolene and bromocriptine. We give them dantrolene. These two medications were administered dentroline, dentroline, and bromocriptine. Bromocriptine. These are drugs we administer when the client is having NMS. We also administer diazepine, which is a benzoyl diazepine. We give this medication to control the anxiety and also to induce muscle relaxation. We wait for two weeks before we resume the therapy. We consider lowering the dosage or switching to atypical medication. Now, um, if these drugs do not work, we always have the option to switch to what? To the atypical antipsychotic medication. That's why you hear me saying if these drugs, that is the first generation psychotic medication, if they are not working and they have so much diacetyl effect, we switch to the what? To the atypical antipsychotic medication. Um, <clears throat> then we have um, another side effect we call the anticholinergic side effect of this medication. Now, anticholinergic drugs, I always say this to you, are those medications that will create mucous membrane dryness. So when you are going for like an eye surgery, like an eye procedure, they give you a drug, like the atropine, that will dry the secretion in the eyes. Or when you go for some surgery, you take it to dry secretion in those mucous membrane so that the doctor can have adequate access to carry on the surgery or the procedure without too much uh, moisturization of the environment that the surgery is being uh, done. Don't act. Now, in this case, we have what we call the anticholinergic side effect of this medication. This anticholinergic side effect, the anticholinergic side effect. Now, they include, you will see the dry mouth. We're going to have dry mouth. That's one. We'll have dry mouth. That's one. Two, we're going to have blur vision. The client will have blur vision another one the client is going to have uh, constipation constipation the client will have photophobia 
photophobia the client will have um the client will have tachycardia they will have tachycardia and the client will have urinary retention <clears throat> or urinary hesitancy these are signs and symptoms of the anti effect of this medication now when this when the client is having this anti side effects of the medication um the client should do the following one for dry mouth the client should chew gum the gum is gum without sugar so they have some gum that do not have sugar because if you chew sugar or uh, sugar gums it still creates test it still dry up the mucous membrane in the buccal cavity so the idea of chewing gum without sugar it helps you to what to to lubricate or to moisturize the esophagus to do all the dry mouth that's the, that's why you're taking the sugarless gum so when you have the dry mouth you chew sugarless gum you also go ahead and sip in little water you avoid anything that will cause hazard the environment you wear sunglasses for the photophobia you eat food that are high in fibers for the constipation you participate in regular exercises you maintain fluid intake of between two to three liters per day and you also void just before taking the medication because they're going to cause urinary retention or urinary hesitancy so you must void before taking the medication you must pee before you take the medication now these are symptoms that we are talking about we are treating them symptomatically if you have dry mouth you take sugarless gum if you have blurred vision you use or photophobia you use sunglasses if you have having constipation drink enough water or eat half our diet now i hope you understand how i'm taking these things step by step that's how the anchor is going to bring in the anchor and they'll ask you what would the nurse do what would the nurse do so these are things the nurse would do when the nurse ever came in contact with this uh, side or this other uh, this effect medication so these are things the client going to have so um the client also have what we call a granulocytosis when the client is on this anti-psychotic first generation medication the client going to have a granulocytosis in this case we have to observe the client for infection because the client will have uh, destruction of the web blood cells which might lead to decreased immunity so in this case we have to go in and provide uh look at the client check them for the immunity and we check them for sore throat we also administer medication that will help to boost our immunity if it continues we have to discontinue the medication because we have to look at the benefit over the harm that it just is causing for us um sometimes we also administer the liver dopa uh, like when the client is having this this or uh, Parkinson's condition, the Parkinson's the side effect. Sometimes we administer liver dopa or, 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 or we administer, yes, we administer like uh, the liver, the liver dopa to help the client to reduce those symptoms the client is having. That's what we do in this case. So, um, any question on uh, 
the fourth generation antipsychotic medications. Second generation antipsychotic medication, or they are called the atypical. So the third generation I call the conventional or the typical antipsychotic. The second generation I call the atypical antipsychotic. They have a little bit of a lower symptom, lower side effect or lower average effect compared to the first generation, but they are more expensive than the first generation. Um, this second generation, we have like uh, the olanzapines, we have the zapresidol, we have the clozapines, we have the um, the abilify, which is called the aripaprazole. It could be also tergic because it's one of the newest one. It could be it could be uh, called also third 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 generation. So they are they have a fewer side effects or fewer average effects of the medication. Now this uh second generation medication they treat both positive and negative symptoms of the of of the of the psychotic symptoms. Now this medication they work mainly by blocking the serotonin and to lessen to a lesser degree. So they block the the serotonin from being produced in the brain at the dopamine receptors. This will decrease the psychotic feature that they are having as they go along. That's how good it is. Um, this drugs also block the receptor of norepinephrine, the histamines, the acetylcholines. Now, we're not going to understand these things like how I'm saying them just by listening to them, but we have to understand the function of these neurochemicals. And I've been saying this over and over. And when you hear a word I don't understand, to give you a broader spectrum of what the war is about or what the symptoms are about, you have to understand the root cause or the root war of that particular symptom that is being linked to. So you want to understand the function of these neurochemicals. So when we say it blocks this particular neurochemical receptor, then you are understanding why it blocks it. You have serotonin, you have norepinephrine, you have dopamine, you have acetylcholine, you have epinephrine, all of these are all important neurochemicals that interplay when it comes to mental illness. So we have to understand the functions of these neurochemicals just by understanding why it is being administered in these cases. Now, then also we talk about the aripropazole, which is a third generation medication, meaning they are the newest one, the third generation, the third generation are the newest one, um, under there, we have um, these drugs, they work by stabilizing the dopamine system as both as antagonist and agonist. You all know what is, what is, what, uh, what is mean by when we talk about agonist and antagonist. At the beginning of this course, we talk about agonist, antagonist, inhibitors, receptor site. We talk about these things. So you want to go back if you did not understand define agonist, define antagonist. So the third generation can act as both agonist and they can also act as antagonist when it comes to the treatment of mental illness. Um then this medication they have some advantages and they have other disadvantages. 
um, like I said, one of the best advantages for this medication is it treats both positive and negative symptoms. So this supplementation treats both positive and negative symptoms of the condition. That's why it does. That's the first one. It treats positive symptoms and negative symptoms. The positive symptoms are other symptoms. Negative symptoms are symptoms that are taken away from us when we get ill. So some generations treat both positive and negative symptoms. The first generation treats only why mostly it treats first or uh, it treats the positive symptom of, of the illness. Now, also it decreases this second generation uh decrease the effect of the medication, it's the drugs adverse effect, it is reduced when you on this second generation medication. It has fewer EPS, it has fewer extra paramedical symptoms of these medications um these drugs also like a it it, it it has less dopamine blockade it has fewer anti-colonetic adverse effect of the medications that's why we use them the relapse is kind of a shorter it has it has lower incidence of relapses compared to the first generation that's why it is expensive now um like uh, sometimes the doctors will have problems between the doctors and the institutions some doctors still love to, to use the first generation because they say they are more effective and they are more aggressive in treating the symptoms than the second generation some doctors still let them use the second because the second has lower side effect but sometimes there's a problem between the policy of the institution and that of those who are doing the prescription. Now, um, these drugs have some complication. Now, for clients who are diabetic on the second, on the second, on the second generation medication, these individuals new onset of diabetes mellitus or loss of glucose control in clients who have diabetes can be caused by the first generation. They're going to have this lipidemia. So when they're on the second generation. They cannot have adequate control over their blood sugar because these drugs inter these drugs interfere with the our blood sugar control levels. That is the, the second the second generation. So when this occur, when the client is on this medication, the client got to do a regular blood sugar check to maintain the blood sugar level. This is what you look out for. Um, when it, the client should report the cardinal signs and symptoms of diabetes mellitus, the three P's: polyphagia. Polyuria and polyuria, the client should report all these things. Increased test, increased urinations, and uh, and uh, and uh, increased appetite. These are things the client should report when the client is on this medication. The client can have weight gain with this medication. The client can have dyslipidemia with this medication. So the client need to take the lipid partner test, the lipid partner for at least six months while on this medication. Um, the client can have like a other the client will have agitation, they can have Parkinsonism, the client can have um tardy dyskinesia, they can have or uh, acatasia, they can have, everything we talk about the client can have this symptom, but it occurs in a lower with lower incidence. That's what happened with the medication. It occurs, but it is the 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 incident of occurrence is not very high compared to the first generation. These are things uh, these are things uh, we look out for the medication. Um, 
when a client on this medication the client cannot take alcohol alcohol is a complete no-no while on this medication you can take alcohol and then or uh, any drug that will suppress the neurological system alcohol is a contraindication with this medication opioids it is a contraindication antihistamine are all contraindication with these medications um also when a client they call the tca the tricyclic antidepressant you cannot administer it and administer this drug because this drug can suppress the cns and that the person can also uh do the same so they have this kind of like uh this um just we can do that if we do that it might cause heart problems like the, 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 the tcas they're going to cause heart problem or cardiac dysrhythmia like uh, they suppress them and this second generation medication we cannot combine they're going to cause us heart problem these are things about the first generation any question i mean the second generation any question on the second generation medication Any question on second generation anti-psychotic medication? Any question on them? Now, when it comes to substance use, what is important to note is that it's like a substance, sometimes we use so many things and we get so used to using them, uh, it becomes a problem for us to leave them or leave them instead of create bigger problems for us now sometimes we have addiction but the worst addiction can be with drugs or medication that we put in our system that becomes the worst use of this medication or these drugs now clients who have a substance use disorder can experience tolerance and withdrawals now tolerance requires increase amount of the medication to get a desired effect so tolerance is when you start to take this bar of soda take for example if i've been taking like a eight ounces of soda and it makes me feel good for like a long period of time after a certain period of time the eight ounces that i can take to make me feel the way how i want to feel will no longer be able to be able to feel like that. So I have to increase the 8 to 10 to 12 to 14. So the gradual increment of the soda that I'm going to be taking after every time, that's what we call tolerance. Your previous dose of medication no longer helps you. So you start to increase the dose. That becomes tolerance. So in the case of drugs, those drugs put take the meds and other uh, drugs that we take that put take normally people get used to them it becomes tolerance it, it, it becomes tolerant when you get to that level they have to keep increasing the dose to receive that desired effect that pleasurable effect of the, of the drugs that's why they're going to keep taking it that becomes tolerance that's why it says it requires an increment in the amount of substance to achieve its desired effect. That is tolerance. Now, withdrawal is the physiological symptom that occur when the, the level of substance that you've been taking 
is being taken from your bloodstream or it declines in your bloodstream. So your bloodstream has been got used to certain gram of cocaine or certain gram of, of, of narcotic. Now when the bloodstream, the blood cells are not having this amount of narcotic into the system, they react to your, they react to that lowered amount in the system. That reaction will show some symptoms which we refer to as the Y withdrawal symptoms. This why this is how this happened. Now, withdrawing from a substance that has the potential to cause physical dependence can cause abstinence syndrome. Um, when this happens, we have like alcohol, caffeine. Now there are people who if they break and they do not go to the water to get a water coffee, to get a coffee, they wouldn't feel good. They will not have a good day. So they have to stop by the wawa, grab a cup of coffee, and drink it with a fecal. Now, in that case, you are becoming addicted, so you have to keep taking it to make you feel good. It could be alcohol, it could be caffeine, it could be um, cannabis, it could be hallucinogens, it could be inhalants, it could be opioids, it could be sedative, it could be hypnotics, it could be medication, it could be stimulant, it could be tobacco or any other thing that you can use to make you feel like how you want to feel. Now, these are all substances that we want to, that we abuse. Some people, if if they don't smoke cigarettes, they feel bad. So if they get mad, they smoke. If they get excited, they smoke. If they, if they are down, they smoke. So cigarette has nicotinamide in it that can create dependency the more you smoke it. That's why all these things are all things that we cannot abuse. Now, um, when we, we when we stop taking this medication, these substances, what happens to her is what all happens to us is, is like a it creates variety of symptoms that we call withdrawal syndromes. These syndromes will have us having symptoms like a GI disturbances. We're going to have like a cardiovascular changes and will have seizures. Now that's why if you if you are on the unit and you work at a mental hospital, you work at a unit of a drugs unit, we do an assessment. We look at the client heart rate, look at the client, the tremors of the hand, actually the stretch your hand forward while the hand is trembling. Then we look at whether you are having GI disturbances, the GRD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Now, these are cardinal areas that we look at to figure out why you're having withdrawal syndrome or you are having problems with the drugs you've been on. These are things we look at. So, mainly, the client will show symptoms, GI symptoms or GI distress. The client will show neurological problems with tremors, and the client is going to have behavioral changes. So, sometimes when the client takes this medication like meth, when they abuse meth, Methamphetamines, they will sort of sort of show some behavioral changes, and they have to go to the hospital to get a detox on the unit. Now, the effect of withdrawal can start anywhere from four hours to seventy-two hours after the last intake of alcohol. Let's start with alcohol first. So it starts between four hours to seventy-two hours for alcohol. Now, this is important to note when it starts and when it ends. It starts at least between 4 to 72 hours 
after the last alcohol intake, the client can start to have alcohol withdrawal. Um, also, under here, when the client has alcohol withdrawal, um, this withdrawal effect, effect can continue up to five to seven days. So it starts between four to seven hours and it continues up to one, five to seven days. It's good to remember these things for the endless. It is very important. Now, the client will have nausea. Now, I want, to, I, want, I want you to listen to these symptoms and be able to catch something from any. Because in the ankle, the ankle will not give us this thing like how I'm saying it. They will give us some cardinal signs and symptoms and they will ask us, what will the nurse do? So that the nurse is expected to figure out what is happening to the client. Then the nurse will be able to enforce what to do for the client. That's how it works. Now, the client will have nausea. They will have vomiting. They can have tremors. Tremor is a cardinal sign. Nausea and vomiting, they are all GI disturbance symptoms. They are very cardinal in this particular alcohol withdrawal. They will be restless and they will not sleep. They will have insomnia. They will be depressed. They will be irritable. They will have increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, increased urinary rate, and increased temperature. These are, like I said, when we are doing the, the assessment on the wall, these are things we look at. The heart rate, the blood pressure, the temperature, the tremors, GI disturbances, these are questions we ask the client. Or are you feeling like, do you want to throw out? Do you want to vomit? Are you feeling nauseated? Or are your stomach, is your stomach hurting? Are you having tremors? Are you not sleeping? Well, these are assessments we do for the client. Now, the client will have diaphoresis, they will have tonic tonic seizure, they will have illusions. Now, sometimes when the clients now for some you know, where I used to work, when the client score, we, uh, we have the CYS, the CY and the cow scores. Now, if the client score above like six, so they have scores. So the scores are like normal we use. Now, if the client scores above six, we administer, we go back, we do we do the check every two hours. If the client score below six, then we do it every four hours. Every unit has different uh, setting. Now, so you know, say so you should administer active vent. Uh, 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 yeah, active vent is, uh, is administered when a client have this scoring. So we look at these things. Active vent uh, is administered. So we look at these things and sometimes we score them. And then we, we, we add on the scoring from the assessment. So alcohol withdrawal delirium can occur two, three days after the alcohol has been seized. So we have all called alcohol delirium. That will come in after the client stop drinking alcohol. It takes two to three days. The client can probably experience these symptoms. Um, it is a medical emergency. Alcohol withdrawal delirium is a life-threatening problem, so it is a medical emergency. Um, the client going to have complete auditory and visual hallucination. In many cases, people drink alcohol and they have alcohol problem. That's when they get admitted to the to the side unit, or they go to the ER. When they have now after the ER treat them, the ER refer them to the one to the side unit because these are sad problems that they need to go uh, and get treated and get talked to about about it. They're gonna have other or visual hallucination. They will have severe hypertension. They're gonna have cardiac dysrhythmia. That if it is not monitored or managed, the client it can progress to death. 
crying and die from this cardiac dysrhythmia. So these are things that happen with alcohol. Then we we'll look at benzodiazepines. Now for the withdrawal, benzodiazepines is the first line of treatment of alcohol withdrawal. So we use benzodiazepines as the first treatment for alcohol withdrawal, the benzodiazepines. Now they're the first kind of treatment for alcohol withdrawal. Um, this include the diazepam itself, lorazepam, oxazepines, all these drugs are used to treat alcohol withdrawal. Um, now, the effect of these drugs, that is the benzodiazepines, it is to uh, maintain the client virus within expected range. It's also to decrease the client intensity of the client withdrawal symptoms. It is also administered to substitute the therapy during the alcohol withdrawal. It's also, uh, these, are these are the reasons why we use the benzodiazepines. Now, when they administer around the clock or as PRN, when the client has the symptoms, we that's what I said, when the client is scoring, when the client is scoring, we have different score limits. Sometimes we give the medication. They're gonna say, okay, if the client scoring at this level, it could be a standing order or it could be a PRN order or it could be a strict schedule order. We obtain the baseline data. We monitor the virus signs and neurological status of the clients and we maintain seizure precaution where the client might go into seizure, cardiac attack, and the client might even die in this uh, in this in these conditions. Then we have um sometimes if the minimum use is not therapeutic. We do a conjoint or we do an adjoint therapy, wherein we use another drugs with the meds with the benzo with the benzodiazepine. Um, so now we use the monotherapy for the management of alcohol withdrawal to achieve the internal effect. They should be used as an adjoint to diazepine. So we use the monotherapy along the benzodiazepine to to yield the therapeutic effect of the medication for the alcohol withdrawal. This adjoint medication include we give the um, the beta blockers like the arterial law, propanol law. We give it along the we give it along the benzodiazepines. Sometimes we give carbamazepines. We give carbamazepines along the diazepines. Carbamazepines. We give it along the diazepine to produce a therapeutic effect. Um, the effect is. The carbamazepine is an anti-seizure medication also. Uh, we give it to, to decrease the level, the occurrence of the occurrence of seizure in the client. We also go ahead we to also treat the depression of the client and to decrease the client blood pressure, the client heart rate. We can give clonidine, propanolol, atinolol. It decreases the craving of the alcohol. So the client will be craving that they want to take, but you got a sales have gotten used to alcohol so much that when you take alcohol, alcohol away from the cells, the cells react. So we give this medication to what? To reduce the reaction of the alcohol on the body, or of the, of the cells on the body. Um, so we maintain seizure precaution and we monitor the client's vital signs every time closely. Try the client heart rate through a minister of propranol. Any heart rate, we want the system beat per minute. We do not administer 
bitter black copper color because it will reduce the client heart rate. For the abstinence maintenance, if the client abstain from the from the medicate from, from the drugs, for the maintenance, we give a drugs called um disulfiram. It's called disulfiram to maintain the alcohol drug because the body will keep craving for alcohol. So we're gonna give some medication that that, that, that will maintain decline by the level so we we'll go ahead and get this medication and maintain decline by the level um in this uh, in these cases we got to maintain it so that's what we do in there so um we'll go ahead and provide this medication so that's one of the drugs we'll provide when the client is having these problems now for this drugs it is intended to um, as an as an as a behavioral as a behavioral therapy for the client's condition. Now, what happened in here is is that uh, it's given daily because the client will crave for alcohol daily, so we got to administer it daily. Um, we have to. It is used to concurrently. Or uh, to like a uh, lessen the craving for the alcohol. That's that's how we do mainly. Um, like uh, it, it, it sees. Let me so let me just say it this way. So the client gonna be having some sad or uh, some craving symptoms. Like the client will have nausea, vomiting, increased heart rate tremors and other things because they are being stopped from taking in alcohol. So because they cannot get alcohol, we need to put something in a system that will substitute the alcohol that, that they are being stopped from taking. So that's why we are getting this diazofarine. Um, <clears throat> it also curtail the acetate, the, the acetate, the acetate heart syndrome, which can progress to depression cardiovascular problem and seizure. So just, just by getting this medication, it stops all this adverse effect of withdrawing the alcohol from the body. In this case, we must inform the client about the fatality of this particular drinking problem they are going through. We should advise the client to avoid any product that contains alcohol, like cough syrup. Now, when the client is on this medication, this diazofarin, it has a bad interaction with alcohol. So the client must stop taking any form of alcohol products. It could be cough syrup, it could be even a chewing gum that contains alcohol. The client got to stop taking alcohol product or any alcohol because it has a huge fatality. Now, <clears throat> um, it could be sources, it could be mouthwash, it could be aftershave lotion, it could be cologne or hand sanitizer. All of these things contain alcohol. The client cannot use them when the client is on the medication called disulfiram. Um, we monitor the client liver test to detect liver toxicity. We encourage the client to wear a medical alert bracelet. Encourage the client to participate in the 12-step self-help program. Invite the client to that there's a potential risk 
for what we call the acetal the acetaldehyde syndrome with alcohol injection within the two weeks when the client stopped taking the medication. So even the client stopped the medication after two weeks, the client cannot be taking cannot take any alcohol product up to two weeks. Tell the client they need to wait for at least twelve hours after the last drink of alcohol before the client can start the drugs. Now there are two things I'm going to say here. For this medication, diazepam. Um, the client should wait for 12 hours before the client can start taking this medication. If the client stops these drugs, the client should wait for two weeks before the client can start. If the client wants want alcohol, before they can start drinking alcohol, or else they're going to be they're going to produce a very bad side effect for the client. So these are things the client can use. Um, we have one called the, the Nitrogen, um, this drugs, this medication, the client must abstain from alcohol before starting this medication. The nitrogen, they must abstain before starting these drugs when the client is undergoing maintenance for alcohol problems. This drug is a pure opioid antagonist. It suppresses the the craving and the pleasurable effect of the alcohol. So um, the pleasure that alcohol gave you, that elation, that force euphoria the client, the alcohol gonna give you, this drug suppresses that particular that particular pressure in your body. So when you own these drugs, your body will not crave for taking alcohol. It is the client in accurate history, in an accurate history to determine or the client is dependent on opioid or not. Um, <clears throat> the, if the client on this medication, this drug is an opioid antagonist. Now, in this case, because it is an opioid antagonist, the client cannot take it alone or opioid substances. If the client goes about doing that, the client will have opiates toxicity, which is also dangerous, that could lead to the client death. So the client cannot take the client do the client to be doing overdose of opioid medic or opioids or opiates. Advise the client that, that the medication with the, the they should take the drugs with meal because if not it will have increased GI disturbances. Um now suggest that the client should do Monday IM injection of this medication for clients who have problem taking a pill medication. The client can do monthly, monthly with a particular medication. We have another one we call the acamprosite. The acamprosite or prosite. Another drugs in the alcohol withdrawal group. This drugs it decreases the unpleasant effects resulting from alcohol abstinence. When you abstain from alcohol, it brings out so much bad symptoms that you do not like that the body will not withstand. So these drugs can help to decrease that adverse effect of stopping the alcohol intake. The client gonna have this. Uh, the client can have dysphoria. They will have anxiety and they can be restless in this case. 
Diarrhea can result if the client has medication. We should maintain fluid intake. Take drugs three times per day with meal and avoid it when you are pregnant. It is contraindicated in pregnancy. This I can proceed. Look at the drug's name, look it over and know some, some important thing about this medication. Drugs that I mentioned in our textbooks, we have to understand what they are when it comes to pharmacology in the English. Now, um, before we leave, um, we have like a we have another one we call the methadone. Methadone is an oral opioid agonist that is used for a substitute as, as a use as a substitute. So when we remove the alcohol from the system, what can we give to keep the blood level at its minimum level but will still be helpful? So we give methadone. So we give methadone in this case. Methadone is used. Now for the methadone use, um, this medication, it is to replace the opioid, I'm sorry, for the, uh, this for opioid withdrawal, it's not for alcohol, I'm sorry. So if, like, if the client is on opioids and the client is having opioid withdrawal, we give methadone. For alcohol, we can give the diazofarins and other drugs I talk about. In this case, we give the opioids, uh, if the client is on opioid withdrawal, we give the methadone. Now, this medication, um, it is an illegal drug. It should be prescribed before you can take it. Um, once it is, it is effectively taken away from the body, that is the opioid taken from the body, we go ahead and use methadone so the client cannot have the opioid withdrawal effect. That's the whole rationale behind giving this medication in place of the opioid. It has some opioid um, um, ingredients, but it's, it helps the client to, work to withstand the withdrawal of the opioid from the body. It is used for opioid withdrawal. It is used for long-term maintenance. And it is used as a suppressive therapy when the client stops taking opioid substance. Now, in this case, it has an increasing tolerance also, if the client takes it in higher doses, it might lead to tolerance. Um, so what we need to know about this particular medication, the methadone, was there for the, the dosage, which is adequate to suppress the withdrawal. We inform the client that the methadone dose must be slowly tapered or tapered to produce a withdrawal with minimal adverse effects. We have to encourage the client to participate in the 12-step self-help program of the opioid withdrawal. We have to inform the client that these drugs must be administered from an approved treatment center, not just by itself. It must be administered from an approved treatment center because clients who are getting away from opioids, they might overdo themselves and it might become a problem for them. Um, we also administer clonidine. When the client having this open, we administer clonidine. In this case, in this case, clonidine, um, it is administered. It also assists with the withdrawal effects of opioids. 
which the client going to have like a diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. So this does not reduce the craving for opioids. This drugs does not reduce the opioid craving, but it helps with the effect of the withdrawal of opioids. That is, that is the symptom I talk about. The symptom I talk about the nausea, vomiting, and other symptoms that come with opioid withdrawal. It helps with those symptoms. It does not. Now I'm saying this because. The NCLEX might ask you for clonidine. Clonidine will not decrease the craving effect of opal jaw, but it helps with the side effect or with opal jaw. That is the if the, the, the withdrawal symptoms of opal, it helps with those symptoms, but it does not reduce the craving. It is methadone that reduces the craving of opal. Just so you know that. Um, before you give clonidine. You want to check the baseline data for the vital signs. Encourage the client to chew sugarless gum or suck on, on candies or ice chips to treat dry mouth because it causes anticholinergic side effect, which is dry mouth. Um, the client can have other, if they can take it in hard dose, it might cause hallucination. So you can take it in minimum dose. Um, the client can combine it with a benzodiazepines opioids or cocaine to achieve increased effect of these substances. Um, then we have the nicotine. <clears throat> nicotine is also what is found in the tobacco. It can be, it can cause withdrawal syndrome when you take, when you, when you take, when you take away, um, when the client is undergoing nicotine or, or tobacco withdrawal. So nicotine is also it also another one. Nicotine, like when we abstain from nicotine, and we're going to have like I'm sorry, when we abstain from from tobacco, which contain nicotinamide. So the client gonna have withdrawal symptoms. So our aim about this thing I'm talking about here, our aim is to substitute the worst for a better one while the client goes through the process. So we, we took out the alcohol, we administered the diazepam, the, the diazepam, as the client get adjusted. We remove the opioids, we administer methadone, as the client gets um, adjusted. So when, when in this case we remove nicotine, we we, we stop taking tobaccos or tobaccos. We want to introduce something that will be able to substitute the use of tobacco in the cells when the cells have gotten used to taking tobacco every time and it is not there anymore to stop the withdrawal syndrome we must introduce something that will be a substitute for the tobacco if the client is having withdrawal or the client abstain from tobacco the client going to have insomnia they will have nervousness they will be restless they will have difficulties in, in concentrating. That's why when a client who smokes a lot, they're going to smoke when they are happy, when they are sad, when they are excited, when they when they feel down, they will, they will smoke cigarette a lot because they want like a, they like a, uh, to get even to, to make up for what they are going through. So in this case, we can give bupropion for nicotine. We give bupropion for nicotine now it is intended to reduce the craving for nicotine 
when we, when we are on nicotine withdrawal. So we give bupropion. Now, I want you to understand what I'm talking about. What do we give in alcohol withdrawal, in opioid withdrawal, in nicotine withdrawal? It's important that you understand what are we giving to substitute the withdrawal and to stop the craving. So um, <clears throat> it treats dry, uh, it treats dry mouth. If, to treat dry mouth, because if we give bupropion, it has an anticholinic effect. So the client will, will chew sugarless gum, gum without sugar, they will chew that. The client will also go in, um, the client can suck on hard candies, they can take small sips of water, or they can suck on an ice chip. The client is advised to avoid caffeine and any other CNS stimulant when the client is on this particular bupropion. The client should avoid the use of this just cannot be given to any client who has seizure problem. Um, advise that this drug can cause weight loss. This limiting weight gain, uh, thus by limiting the weight gain, we get the smoking cessation. Because when you stop smoking nicotine or cigarettes, you're gonna have weight gain. So this bupropion can also stop weight gain after you stop taking in nicotine or nicotinamide products. So this drugs, that's why it's also useful. These are endless questions for RNs in specific. Now, so we replace the nicotine with the bupropion. Um, in this case, we can give nicotines in the chewing gum. We give uh, nicotine patches, nicotine chewing gum to replace um, the actual nicotine the cigarette the client is having. We give these things to avoid the craving. We have what we call the nicotine lozenges. Um, it allows the client to slowly dissolve in the, it, it, the client put it in the mouth, it dissolves in at least 20 to 30 minutes so that it helps to replace the nicotine craving that the client body is going to have. It, do not chew it or swallow it. Avoid oral intake 15 minutes after taking this particular nicos, uh, nicotine lozenges. Follow the direction and the, the, and the recommended titration. Limit lozenges used to five in six hour period or maximum of 20, of 20 per day. You monitor the average effects, which include dyspepsia, um, mouth irritation, nausea, and hiccups. These are all what we refer to as a, the advert effect of this nicotine lozenges. Now, we ask the client when the first cigarette is smoked each day. The client should tell us then higher doses are indicated for clients who smoke in 30 minutes of awakening. So if the client can take in, the client can smoke a cigarette in the morning at 5 a.m. when they wake up from bed, we increase the nicotine lozenge dosage in the morning to be able to, like, withstand, to, to, be able to help us to like, uh, get even with the blood level of nicotine when the cigarette is being taken away. That's, that's the idea in here. We have nicotine gums. The gums is recommended for longer time, for six months. We chew the gum slowly over 30 minutes. We avoid eating or drinking 15 minutes prior to chewing the gum. We we'll make sure they're gonna be soreness in our jaw, and uh, we can also talk 
after the trial about these things, we ha also have nicotine patches we use. Um, for clients who want to use the patches, they can use the patches. Um, we change it each day and to evolve reaching the same site after one week. We advise the client to evolve using any products that contain nicotine while the client is on the patches because we do not want nicotine overdose. Um, we have the nicotine nasal spray and we have the nicotine inhaler. These are things the client will use when the client is on nicotine withdrawal or abstinence so um please um these are important to know for the end class so we'll stop here and see what there's any question any question on these things we've been talking about